This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Kwandamooka people and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Well may we say God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 99 for Monday, 22nd of July, 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host, Brandon Selleck. Welcome back, Brandon. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Now, we've got a list here mm. of things what have been happening in our country, mm. and I feel like what we need... And what I need, and I think probably what the listeners need, is a pick-me-up, despite being aware of these things. And if you're not aware of these things, then you'll need a pick-me-up shortly after becoming aware of these things. And so I feel like it is our job today for you to depress me with the bad stuff and me to try to find a way that we can all move forward together. It's very emotionally mature of you. Well, I mean, I I feel like I'm, A, setting myself up for, for failure, and B... You know, throwing all of the onus of depressing us on you. So, oh. you know, everybody loses. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you can manage. All right. Well, let's look at the first big story that we were talking about, which was uh, leader of the opposition, Anthony Albanese, is saying he doesn't want his shadow cabinet to call the uh, Morrison government ministers liars anymore. Even when they're lying? Well, it's not clear on that. I mean, during the last election, a lot... Of- that accusation was thrown around a lot. And so... Just the fact that they were lying a lot. Just Well, the accusation that they were lying. I mean, I do recall an LNP post which basically said, Bill Shorten lies, he always lies, or words to that effect. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, they, both sides do it. Like, yeah. I think that the Labor source who was who was leaking this to Fairfax was saying something to the effect of, um, well, you know, if, we, if you keep, keep calling it, then it'll lose its impact. Yes, but, you know, on the flip side, they keep lying. This last election yeah. was won on misinformation or outright lies so until 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 politicians pants start spontaneously combusting to let us know when they're actually telling us fibs it's probably best to call them out on it as long as you've got evidence of it yes i i feel like that the only way to responsibly deal with lies is to specifically contradict them and in fact if you don't it gives the lies credence um Mm. and i also feel like if you're trying to go for an improved polity where there's a civil debate and the word lies reserved for only the genuine uh you know the genuine issue instances where that can you know that is clearly the case i feel like expecting that from your opponents um is optimistic and mm. therefore uh giving them the the ground to just be the only ones who are shouting liar uh is you know politically suicidal so positive i have to find something positive about this what about the, the idea that um of all of the things that the people in the alp front bench will be aware of it's that you can't uh just let the other side be the only ones who are who are throwing um that line or making that point or making mm. that claim uh and it's it's such an absurd thing for Albo to demand that maybe they'll roll him yes it does seem like an odd um 
an odd position to take. I mean, trying to raise the discourse, yep, all well, good and noble, but this isn't the way to do it. Well, no, I mean, it, it basically is just like, here, have, have a free pass to tell lies about us and we won't, we'll just like, we'll, we'll fight you by looking sad. We'll look sad. I mean, we can look sad and that's what we'll do, but... Well, they've basically been doing that for the last three years anyway. All right, so the best best case uh, scenario out of that one is that it is one step towards uh, Ablo being rolled. Well, that's a positive. Well, it is, actually. If Ablo's rolled, then, then you know we might actually eventually get an opposition. Okay, what else have you got? All right, so Miles and the Labor Party were pushing for more uh, to go to richer old-age pensioners who own lots of property. Ah, uh, yeah, I've got some audio over this. Mm-hmm. This was on the subject of... Uh, the deeming provisions where, uh, like, they only mm. they only benefit you if you have enough stuff that you are able to earn money off it. Mm. Uh, and instead of uh, campaigning for the pension to be raised for people generally, Labor is trying to uh, pitch for pensioners who uh, own homes and therefore don't have the same rental costs as, as old age pensioners who don't own homes. No, so basically Labor's not pitching for the poorer pensioners. They, uh, here's Richard Miles uh, demanding that the government treat the wealthier pensioners better. Uh, and for some people, you know, th- this represents more than $1,000 a year in this, in this decision. Um, and this is simply not enough and it is not good enough. Okay, so I'm, I'm with you. I, f- I feel like that's not the best approach for Labor to be taking. <laughs> Something positive about that. Help me out. Help me out. They're going after Liberal voters? Try to convert them? Yeah, but, but well, maybe if they uh, if they, they do enough Liberal stuff, the Liberals will go do some Labor stuff just to spite them? <laughs> Possibly. But let me help you out here. I mean, the only reason I know about interest rates in regards to deeming accounts and that sort of thing is because my grandmother made the majority of her money from her deeming account when she was living with us. So it worked because she put all the money she got in her property settlement from her divorce into a deeming account and basically lived off that interest. So you've got to have money to make money. But for some pensioners, that's their only income. So this is only going to benefit, as we've said, benefit people who've already got some assets or some wealth. It's not going to benefit people who, you know, are renting and are impoverished. But given the fact that at the moment interest rates are so low and those people, those, those, those pensioners who were relying on this as probably their income, despite the fact they've got assets they don't want to dip into for whatever reason this will help them along. So that is a positive, but it's not, again, the right direction that Labor should be going in. Maybe they will then, if their lives are slightly more comfortable, feel compassion for the people who are doing it even tougher than they are. Mm. Because that hasn't ever happened, but maybe this will be the first time. Mm, This is the first time for everything. (laughs) All right, I I feel like I'm failing our listeners. Uh, What else have we got? Okay. Now, one of the big things from the last election, of course, that no one wanted to commit to was raising the level of new start. And Labor is, again, passing the buck, saying that it's up to the government to raise it. Oh, which led to this quite brutal quote from uh, Phil Curry on Insiders. It's um, this mantra, don't talk to us, we're not the government. Right. It it was really apparent this week, I thought, in, in a number of exchanges and press conferences where... We'd sort of become so used to Labor saying, well, this is what we'd do or this is what they should be doing. And, and when the APRA report came out this week, mm. um, you know, the, the, the capability review into APRA had numerous criticisms of the regulator. I mean, Jim Chalmers did a press conference, but the shadow treasurer, but he basically said on these recommendations, well, go and talk to them. You know, they're right. the government. It's up to them to implement them. And that's very sort of emblematic 
I think of the attitude that Anthony Albanese again was pushed on something in Perth and he said, look, our plans to be kicking with the wind in the last quarter, we're not interested. Yeah, but the, the wind's a bit, I mean, can be still mm. a bit challenging in the first couple of oh, quarters. Yeah. And we're like, you want to be within 50 mm. points. <laughs> well, yeah, ideally, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's striking me as a bit of a weird pitch for Labor to be um, taking, the defenders to be taking. Have you, have you seen this on Twitter, that their whole thing seems to be um, the media are mean to us because they keep uh, testing us about policy. I mean, we want to be the alternative government. And obviously, part of politics is people paying attention to. But could people stop paying attention to us and asking us questions as if we were the alternative government and the opposition? Like, it's such a weird mm. pitch for the Labor to be running. It's like, it's so mean that the media are focusing on us. Like, the Greens would kill to have the media giving them that much attention. Can you imagine what you could get? The amount that you could... Any minor make? party would kill to get that sort of media attention. Yeah. But if you... Like, imagine the idea of being in politics, of, of your approach being, please don't look at us. <laughs> like, we don't have anything to say. <laughs> we don't have anything we want to argue. Just stop paying attention to us. How we, How does that even work? Like, isn't the whole point of politics that you're desperate to be able to get a message out? Mm. And this is people trying to give Labour an opportunity to get the message out, and they think of it as a bad thing. Mm. No, it's definitely a strange approach. So good news in relation to the New Start stuff is that, um, okay, and, and have a read of the Greg Jericho piece of it, uh, on The Guardian as to why this is a thing that Labor really should be pitching. Like, it's mm. good politics. It's it's both in terms of it's good policy and it's it should be good politics for them. Like, the thing that annoys me about Labor, and I guess I need to be finding something positive in this, but imagine if, imagine if, Labor, if somebody in charge of Labor was listening to the podcast right now and they were wondering how to approach this, uh, and they couldn't couldn't see a way that they could get the uh, the balance of uh, their working working class base and uh, the people who are unemployed, and, and how they could do that without without accidentally pissing off the working class people. Because one thing Labor doesn't ever seem to do is look to the next step, and we all know that what's going to happen is the entire you know the the, um, the Greens, um, ACOS, all the people who are pushing for an increase in New Start. Even apparently Barnaby Bloody Joyce, this is this is the madness of it, like Barnaby Joyce is to the left of Labour on this. <laughs> what? But we all know what's going to happen, which is we'll all sort of push for a while and then eventually the government will have to respond and they'll have to respond with something more than Scott Morrison just saying how good are jobs. Um, but all that will happen is that the that the Conservatives and the Conservative media will just turn around and, and, and um, bash people on Newstart to the point where workers resent them again. There'll mm. be a bunch of stories about doll bludgers that'll be in the Daily Telegraph and it'll it'll be this whole thing of um, making sure that any sympathy for people on Newstart is immediately dissipated with the sense of, well, they deserve to die. It doesn't really matter how much, you know, how hard it is for them. They deserve it. All they have to do is get a job. Like, you know that that's what's going to come back. Mm. So why the hell isn't Labor right now standing up and simply saying, flipping that paradigm, like immediately I'm getting to it. I'm just getting quickly another analogy. It's exactly the same as what we were saying about um, how before the next election. We already know that the whole people are going to be even worse off by by 2022 than they are now. They're going to be struggling. And the Conservatives' pitch will be, you can't trust Labor. You can't risk Labor. You're already struggling. Don't risk it. Don't risk it. It can only get worse. And the only way that Labor can counter that is to be ahead of time, pitching it as... Every time people's lives go get worse, every time electricity costs go up, every time you know wage figures are flat, every time cost of living increases, they need to be hammering home so that the message is really clear before the election, you can't risk any more t- time with this government. You can't risk another year of this government. Every year of this government, they have pushed you even in- into the ground. You don't need to be afraid of Labor coming in and changing it because you already know what happens if there isn't a change. 
Mm. And, they, and Labor needs to preempt that to the point where, you know, the fear line is you need to be afraid of the government, this mob getting another three years to screw you over more. Mm. But you, you can't do that in response to them. Whoever pitches the fear line, you can't risk it first, gets that line. Labor needs to be picking it and running it now. And likewise with Newstart, Labor needs to be preempting the coalition because the coalition have been quite quiet about it. And I just said Barnaby Joyce was saying it need to be raised and the government and Morrison saying, you know, best form of welfare is a job. Okay, so they're making comments about it, but they're not really making much of it. They're just basically, it's, it's, they've responded as much as they kind of need to, but they're not actually proposing to do anything. So Labor needs to be standing up right now. And look, I got to the point in the end and saying, <laughs> look, workers... Your, there is a reason your work, your conditions are flat. Um, your your wages are flat and the conditions are poor. Uh, there are two reasons. One is that the um, unions have been squashed and they're not fighting for you, and there's no balance. There's no pushback on the uh, corporate pressure to keep wages down. One, so one is what the Conservatives have done in terms of, of unions. But the second thing is that they have run social security is so low that you don't have a safety net, and they can treat you badly. They can mm. treat you. They can pay you poor poor wages give you poor conditions um, because they know that you can't afford to hold, to call them on. You can't say, sod this, I'm going to go retrain and go and get a better job. You can't say, no, I, I've got better options this or I'll try, I'll, I'll start a business myself, I'll give it a go. You can't mm. try, you don't have any recourse to push back against them treating you badly because you know that if you go on New Start, you'll be starving. You'll be on $135 a week less than the poverty yeah. rate. You'll be like, only, you'll, yeah, they'll be forcing you to take what you can take what you can get. That's There'll right. There'll be no accountability for poor employers. And we've seen plenty of instances of that in the last couple of weeks as well. If New Start is at a decent level, and I'm not saying it, 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 even if it's just at subsistence, then employers have to compete with that. They have to compete with that for the people at the bottom, and then they have to compete all the way up. So, so they need to, it pushes everybody's wages up. And in fact, the people who are willing to live on a subsistence payment, they're not bludgers. They're people who they're, they're benevolent benefactors who are recognising there are enough jobs to go around. Even if they if they were choosing to, and this is not the case because most people on New Start are fight, trying very hard to get work. But even if there were some who didn't want to, those people are enabling you to have the jobs and therefore and and make the competition for those jobs less severe, which would ha- which again has an upward con- um, impact on your wages and conditions. So, sorry, and to make that shorter for Labor to pitch to people. Higher new start means better wages and conditions for you as well. It flows through. Low new start, starving new start, is downward pressure on your wages and conditions. So it is in your interests, working people, to have, even if you're currently working and you're not using the new start payment, it's in your interest for it to be there and for it to be decent because it pushes your wages and conditions up. Mm. And Labor needs to preempt that. They need to be saying it now, and I haven't heard them say anything along those lines. So the positive spin, they could do that. Maybe one of them is listening to this podcast and will go, oh, yeah, we could do that. Mm. You know, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And obviously I was inspired by Assistant Minister for Housing Luke Howarth and his attempt to try and find a positive spin on homelessness, which was an optimistic (laughs) pitch. You know, I want to put a positive spin on it as well and not just say that, um, you know, Australia is in a housing crisis when it affects a very, very small percentage of the population. Like, imagine coming to work and be like, well, yeah, sure, homelessness is depressing, but surely there's some positives we can find. Anyway, um, I feel like that's an, that's a worse call than trying to find it in this week's politics. But, you know, mm. Oh, well, it's yeah. Not, not a huge amount more. All right, what, what's next? What have we got? All right, next, uh, leader of the Greens, Richard Di Natale on Insiders, is saying that the Greens are actually the opposition. 
Well, it's not depressing at all. That's, well, it is depressing that because the, their pitch, and I know Labor, the Labour broker's defence to that was uh, how insulting it is. He's attacking Labour instead of the Liberals again, which, of course, he isn't. Here's the audio. Spent a fair bit of time of your opening address bagging the Labour Party. Um, is that the best approach if you want to get results in the Senate together? Well, actually, the substance of my speech was um, talking about the shocking record of the Liberal Party and the fact that the Labor Party uh, decided that the best way to beat a terrible Conservative government is by adopting their policies. I mean, what we need is a real opposition in this country and it's very clear that the Greens are now the real opposition. It was a Labor Party who, quite rightly in the lead-up to the election, uh, talked about how important it was to uh, improve the tax system, to deal with economic inequality. You had the Deputy Leader saying that uh, it was a good thing that coal was coming to an end. After the election, they've backed in uh, the biggest tax cuts uh, that we've seen. Uh, they've backed in the government's um, flat tax, small government agenda. Uh, Richard Miles is out there saying uh, that we should celebrate the coal industry. You don't beat the Conservatives by adopting their policies. You don't say one thing before an election and another thing after an election. You stand up and fight for the things that you believe in. And that's what we want the Labor Party to do. That's what the Greens are doing. And that's why we are now the real opposition in the Australian so Parliament. Yeah, no, he's specifically attacking Labor for joining with the Liberals and refusing to fight them. Um, but anyway, I, I, I did also like the Labor broker whose response to that was, well, they're not conservative. Okay, <laughs> whatever you call them, you know, the right-wing government. Anyway, mm. um, it is depressing that it's left to him, but you know, he's, he's hoping that that's not actually the, uh, the... He's hoping that the Greens can, like, hold the fort so we have an opposition until mm. Labor remembers how to do an op be an opposition. So isn't it good? Isn't it good that whilst Labor is sort of vacating the field, we've got at least the Greens... We've got somebody in there, a single member in the House of Representatives. No, sorry. I'll add Andrew Wilkie as well in that, even though he's not currently in the Greens, but yes. Mm. You know, Wilkie and Bant together are the... Uh, we, we have an opposition. So that's good. I feel we need to write a pamphlet for the opposition, you know, for the current Labor Party, just, you know, like where those old martial arts pamphlets, like how to oppose. <laughs> how to oppose, so you're not in government anymore. How to oppose. Isn't it astonishing? It's not just the thing of, like, we don't want people to talk to us, but the whole thing, there's so many Labor brokers who are like, oh, well, we had to vote against the New Start motion because it was a stunt. I mean, any, anything, anything other than passing legislation in Parliament is a stunt. And we can't pass legislation because we don't have a majority uh, in the House of Reps. Therefore, you know, we can't do anything. And you're like, <laughs> every single person engaged in politics in the country other than the, than the Liberal and National Parties is not in government. That doesn't mean... Like, it's not a one-party state where the only the people who've got a majority in Parliament who've got, who are the government, only they have an ability to make political changes, make political arguments, push the political window... What does the Labor Party think it's even in Parliament for? If if you if there's not if you can't do anything without control of the House of Reps, why do they even bother? Can they give those seats to someone who has got something to do in the House? Like, do they really think that the Liberals twiddled their thumbs before they won government again in 2013? Like, they went to Parliament and argued with Labor, mm. even though they weren't in government. You can still do stuff in Parliament, even if you don't win the votes. You can do stuff that pushes pressure on the government and either makes them change their policies mm. or makes them lose. Nobody's turning around to Labor and saying, well, we blame you because you didn't pass a raise to Newstart. We're turning around to Labor and saying, we're blaming you because you're not even fighting for it, you useless 
nupties. Even though apparently some people in Labour are starting to come push back and they are starting to say, oh, maybe we shouldn't abandon the franking credits uh, reforms and maybe we shouldn't abandon the negative gearing reforms and maybe we shouldn't, you know, maybe we should push for an increase in new start. So look, there are a couple of people in the ALP and I'm seizing on that mm. as positive news. So like, Maybe there is some opposition still in the opposition. Yes, and hopefully one of those one of those opposing backbenchers will rise up to be leader. <gasps> Imagine. Oh, I did. I did like the Labour broker on Twitter this week who was telling me who was boasting about all the stupid people who are bashing Albo now, who are the same people who really wanted him to take over from Shorten. Like, did you see that? Like, I love no. that as an argument. You, you silly people! You believed that Albo was progressive. How dumb do you feel now? Hmm. Please vote for him as leader of the ALP. That's such a weird pitch. Yes, he Albo deceived you. Vote for the ALP while he's leader of it. Mm. Sorry, I have a little friend now during during the remainder of the podcast. Somebody has woken up, so we have we we have a we have a two year old co-pilot mm. for a little bit. All right, all right. Tell tell me something uh, non depressing that has happened this week. All right, all right. So Christopher Pine and Julie Bishop have apparently both been cleared by the government as not being in breach of government standards for taking jobs. Inside the grace period after leaving Parliament. Mm. Okay, so look, good news about that is that it's a spectacular finding that the ministerial standards are pathetically weak and need to be reformed. So you know, I mean, if imagine if it had been the case that the government had actually decided to censure them, and there were, and, and that had been enough to, um, you know, reduce. Uh, pressure on the government to actually fix ministerial standards. Mm. But um, the government, the government has just basically come out and said, "No, our ministerial standards are shit." Mm. Uh, and given the crossbench and Labor an opportunity to seek a Senate inquiry, which you know, I mean, that's something. I would have gone for the more low-hanging fruit, positive-wise, on this one. Is like, hey, the government's found jobs for two unskilled workers. <laughs> well, the government didn't. They found. <laughs> that, that's what they were all doing in that period of time between. Uh, when everybody thought the election was going to be called and um, Scummo dragging it out for as long as possible to give, mm. you know, so that, so that they could set themselves up with nice little deals in the private sector. Mm. I, don't, I don't feel like Pine and Bishop getting jobs is... is it, it's hard to see that as a positive, particularly given that the whole pitch for them with the new employers is that they have all this insider knowledge that they can use mm. at the expense of the public interest to benefit their new private employers. Plus their pre-2004 government pensions. Oh, they, they were in before Latham and Howard changed it. Pine definitely was, because Pine's been in there for 25 years. Oh, my God. Um... Bishop, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty. I'm not. I can't. I'd have to confirm, but I know Pine definitely was. Look, we could type it into Google, but who cares at this moment? It's mm. like, I mean that. I mean that. That's just a reminder. If anybody can't remember, any time Mark Latham pops up, everybody should just remember that he made that deal with Howard to reduce the um, pensions for politicians after they left Parliament, mm. but making sure that he and Howard. Uh, were exempted from like his generation of politicians were exempted from it. So it's like, no, no, they're too generous. They should be wound back. But not for me. <laughs> That's so shocky. Mm. You have some more people too. All right, what else have we got? Something we can celebrate. Something we can celebrate, maybe. Yes, here's one. Uh, the coal industry should be celebrated, apparently. No, I mean <laughs> something we could celebrate, not something terrible about people something celebrating something awful. Oh, that's Richard Miles telling the coal industry that saying that the coal industry should be celebrated and, and doing a mea culpa that he was tone deaf when he was being happy about thermal coal ending. <sighs> yeah. Uh, positive spin on that. Um, Best of luck. <laughs> um, um, I, hmm. Um, Look, I was going to say that that, that uh, you know climate change will will save us from being wiped out by the. Uh, did you see that 
Um, I think it's Amazon is working on the software for Skynet, whilst Boston Dynamics are busy making Skynet yeah. bodies. So, but 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 maybe we could be wiped out by climate change before that happens. So you know, but it's hard to see that as a positive when your baby is crying in the background and my mm. toddler's on my lap. So let's move quickly on. Uh, oh God, no, no, not the audio of Matt Canavan talking about how coal improves the air quality. I'm gonna have to play it, aren't I? Yes, you are. You know, you spoke about climate change before, and I do think we should do things on, on, on carbon dioxide, but the biggest environmental issue in our region is air quality. Mm. Anyone who travels to Asia, particularly developing parts of Asia, can see, you just have to look up and not see the blue sky. There's a real problem there, right? It kills thousands of people every year, obviously, the poor air quality. Now, our coal helps improve that because you end up having electricity produced in a modern coal-fired power station that gets rid of all the dust and sulphur oxides and bad stuff before it goes in the atmosphere and replace what currently is used in a lot of these developing countries is just household use of coal or small business use of coal for burners and all the crap goes into the atmosphere. So, you know, getting a modern and clean form of Australian coal is a way of improving the natural local environment in our region and that's very important. I cannot believe he said that. I actually cannot believe he said that. Well, <laughs> what, that they're fighting some flimsy uh, f- flimsy positive spin to put on something? I mean, it is true that, like, a, a giant coal plant will produce less emissions than lots of little, you know, l- even less efficient means of burning coal. But, I mean, mm. coal is still the problem. Mm. Uh, and I love, I mean, to tell mm. the people in Moe and Moore that there's no um, air quality problems from, from coal plants. Oh, my God, Tony Abbott, did you see his quote about how we, uh, wind generators are now the, the dark satanic mills of the modern age? How are they going with the wind turbines in your firm electorate of Zali Stegall well, sticking them up there? Well, that's a, a very good question. I think there's been a lot of wind, but not too much action. Uh, and thank God, because uh, the last thing we want is what I regard as the dark satanic mills of the modern era absolutely spoiling our landscape absolutely i was kind of hoping he'd strap on a like you know don quixote kind of armor and lance and try and tilt at the at the windmills on that one but didn't happen sadly i don't actually want to no i'm not going to picture him doing that um mac hanneman's argument i mean to be fair this is the same uh government that was trying to pick you remember when the when the there was a, a a quarter where the emissions were temporarily down or something, even though they were like massively up mm. year on you know the year on figures, but like they were trying to highlight and be like, no, they're going down now, like from a one tiny yeah. um, quarter, and then of course they've gone straight back up mm. again, and they yeah, this is not a government that is is afraid of taking one misleading minor uh, benefit and and trying to pretend that it's mm. uh, representative of the whole. So I'm not surprised. I mean, he is he really is the minister for mm. coal, and I think previously previously he's made it very clear that he's the he's the advocate in parliament for the coal industry, not the other way around. Mm. It is the evolution of the clean coal argument. Look, if you add the word clean in front of stuff, uh, I mean that's all that's needed to make it so that it actually is clean. You just keep calling it you know, clean nuclear waste, clean mm. toxic sludge, clean. Oh no, I see. You need to get. You can't do it with the word sludge, but you know, does anybody buy clean coal as a thing? Maybe the Conservatives are just better than we are at, at like, picking the the phrases that are going to resonate with people in a positive way. Mm. That's not positive at all. Wait a minute. (laughs) The positive is maybe we'll learn from it and get better. Okay. Uh, I did see some positive news, which is that uh, even though Labor had been talking about abandoning the franking credit and negative gearing reforms, some other people in Labor are actually pushing back against that. So maybe that's that's positive. Yeah, that would be positive. Maybe Dick Smith got through to them. And then there's the positive that maybe Labor will learn as a result of uh, when they tried to placate the conservative media uh, by voting for the tax cuts. Um, 
Maybe they will learn from examples like this that it's completely futile and stop doing that. Uh, here's Paul Murray blaming them because as a result of their saying they might not vote for the uh, giant tax cuts in stage three, uh, the LNP, LNP did a deal with Jackie Lambie. Uh, and that is apparently Labor's fault. Check out Paul Murray making that case. Anthony Albanese has been the opposition leader for about a month. The parliament has only sat for one week. And already you can thank Albo for potentially blowing out the federal budget by $2 billion. Why do I blame Albo for a deal the government did with Jackie Lambie? Because because of Albo, they had to do the deal in the first place. Despite the fact that did they have to do, what was the price of the deal? Forgiving the public housing debt to the government of Tasmania that now every other state wants to copy. So because Albo was a smart-ass cheered on by the establishment media, you're going to end up paying $2 billion. Well done, sir. You're listening to her. Mm. Maybe needs a little adjustment because there's still some wax in their elbow. Okay, so that sounds terrible, but on mm. the plus side, isn't there a possibility that Labor might learn from that that uh, giving the libs everything they want doesn't actually work? Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also, I suppose it's nice that there's some consistency that even after the election, the Liberal government's still using page one from their playbook, which is blame Labor. Well... <laughs> I mean, they will always do that. The idea that, that their shitty deals can be... Well, actually, let's stand back a bit. I don't actually mind the um, coalition agreeing to uh, waive public housing debt for Tasmania. I don't mind them doing it for other states. Uh, if they are going to waste um, money buying votes, then this is you know, a vaguely positive way of doing it. And I don't see money going on public housing as a waste in the first place. So mm. it's not the worst thing. If it does have to get extended to the other states, that's not a bad thing either. And the idea that, that in Paul Murray's audience, that the terrible thing the Liberals have done is help public housing in some way, that's broken people. But I do like the idea that when the Libs do something in order to get around Labor, then no matter how bad, if they do a bad thing, it's Labor's fault that it forced them to do it. Mm. Like, that is some classic um, avoiding responsibility crap. That is yeah, just we are in an abusive relationship with our government. <laughs> we really are. Um, I think, I mean, the main problem with the Lambie deal was that, that um, she didn't hold out for more. Like, it was, a, it was a pathetically weak fold. The amount of money that was going to Tasmania out of, given how much money was being given in tax cuts to very rich people, um, was pathetic. So the real, the real problem with the Lambie deal is that it was piss weak and, and helped a terrible thing happen. Mm. Anyway, okay, I'm not finding anything positive there. No, I'm, the positive is that hopefully Labor will do will, will recognise that uh, no matter what they do, they'll still be attacked by uh, the conservative media, so maybe they might as well stand up for progressive policy and actually argue the case. It's possible they might realise. Mm. All right, we've got the good news that Michael McCormack, the Deputy Prime Minister, thinks it's fine that Adani wants uh, the part the specific data about the public they want the details of the public servants who might be regulating them and they want people who aren't anti-coal so Brandon you and I in the past uh, have done a crime um, and by done crime I mean represented people who have been accused of crimes um, in a legal sense rather than you know committing crimes as far as I know anyway mm -hmm. um, but so yeah so do you think this, this, this idea that Adani should be able to pick the people who are regulating and making sure that they're not in its view anti-coal um, I, I, do, you, do you think this would be an interesting uh, or successful approach uh, applied generally in terms of uh, any kind of judicial oversight sort of body so you know maybe maybe if uh, criminals could uh, come to court and ask for the uh, judge who's not you know too anti-crime 
<laughs> well, forum shopping's always a bad idea. But I mean, sure, surely they should uh, have to declare that they're not anti the, the bad thing that the people in front of them are doing. Well, you would hope they'd be objective. Oh, not, not if you're a Dani, you wouldn't, no. <laughs> the, well, well, scientists, I mean, they're scientists after all. I do like Michael McCormack thinking that's perfectly fine, and why? Why wouldn't? Why? Why shouldn't they be able to make sure that they're regulated by people who are in, on board with their their model in the first place? Seems mm. perfectly fine. Yes. Okay. Positive about the idea of the government being okay with uh, weakening red tape, and particularly in a time that obviously we've had this whole issue with the burning down towers and so forth, and the vast amount of public money that's going to be required to fix it. And of course, Frydenberg and the Libs have just been saying, "Oh, that's a state problem, not ours. A state problem, not ours." But isn't fundamentally that that a, a an incredibly clear example of why you need regulation and why Scott Morrison's pitch that what he should do in his next term is reduce red tape, by which he means reduce regulatory restrictions on business doing whatever it wants. Like if you don't have that regulation and it's just a free for all, that's what you get. You get shitty towers that are dangerous that are going to fall down. Mm. Companies go just go bankrupt and the, and the, everybody's left picking up the pieces. Mm. So maybe the spin on the towers thing, maybe the positive way to look at that is surely this is getting to the point where people are going to have to notice that actually regulation is a necessary thing and maybe we should bring back more of it and actually have it enforced hmm. maybe although it's a bit worrying when mccormack is out there saying no no maybe the building industry should be able to pick the regulators who don't mind you know wobbly buildings are you anti-dangerous buildings well you shouldn't be regulating us we should be able to get the building inspectors who are fine with a bit of you know fire <laughs> yeah well i always came from the approach that your regulations are written in blood so well, in the sense that every... Well, that is actually a good point. Like, whenever people are mocking some kind of warning label or some kind of... A, every single warning label, every single rule that's, best, that's preventing um, a company doing something comes from people having been hurt from that in the past. So this week also, the NBN has been back in the news. Cast your mind back to the heady days of 2013 when then-Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull said... Netflix know a bit more about this than any of us here, and their own publications say you need 4 megabits per second. So if you had, for example, a 25 megabit per second connection to the internet, you could stream simultaneously four or more than four, five or six high-definition video streams. And so, you could, and so you could, as a household, be watching much more video, consuming much more data, hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes a month, but nonetheless not require that larger pipe, because, of course, the internet is a series of interconnected pipes and tubes. Back in 2013. Oh, but back in 2013, where we, where we barely knew anything about, about yes. internet usage. But wasn't this the time that he was busy uh, changing the NBN from a, a fiber network to this horrific mm. uh, multi-technology mix? And part of the cost of that was going to be that you were going to lose things like um, fast upload speeds so that you could do proper video conferencing and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, lose one of the huge benefits of the NBN as, as envisaged by the uh, labor, which was that businesses and so forth could move to the regions and so forth because um, the communication bo in both directions would uh, be, at, you know, at, at the high, at, at a usable rate. The um, there'd be room for technology to develop because we would have built in that capacity into the network when we built it. We would build it once, build it right, and not have to do it again. And the Malcolm was mm. coming in planning to um, destroy that. And his pitch was, all people really want it for is for streaming video. And this thing that I'm doing mm. will be enough to stream video and ignore all those other... Pretend, yeah. pretend that those other applications don't exist and we don't have to worry about them. It's just mm. about streaming video. Okay. So they built us this shitty network, which was at least going to be able to stream video. Okay. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, so now, 
jump ahead six years to the beginning of this month where the head of NBN's, uh, NBN's head of stakeholder relations, uh, Sam DeMarco, said on ABC 730 program that they attributed people not being able to get fast download speeds on the 4G fixed wireless network, which is a part of the NBN, to the Netflix effect. So what happened in that moment, he said, was that there was the usage behavior within the internet in general was on the increase. We spoke about the Netflix effect and people spending more time streaming content. That puts a lot of pressure on our networks, fixed wireless in particular. Say it ain't so. Wait, so their whole argument was it's enough to do Netflix and now their argument is people are Netflixing too much. Yeah. Damn it, people, you're watching too much Netflix. But that's the only thing that their stupid network does. That's the whole, like they removed all of the other things that it could do. Yep. Okay, 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 okay. Sure, this looks like an example where the corporate sector uh, were able to campaign vigorously uh, to destroy something so that for the, in their own commercial benefit. And in this case, it was sort of News Corp and Telstra. Uh, okay. Um, and sure, like throughout the country, we've got lots of examples of, of the corporate world uh, lobbying. You know, the business council lobbying to, to against... Oh, they want they want to make it easier to sack people. They want to weaken industrial protections. Uh, we have the mining uh, industry lobbying for more coal and uh, we're their capable advocate in parliament, uh, Matt Kahneman, advocating for more and more of that and against uh, their competitors. All right, so sure, we are getting a lot of corporate influence screwing up public policy. But I feel like... I feel, Brandon, like it might be... We might be getting to a turning point. I feel like... Maybe there is a hope. Maybe there's a hope that conservatives are going to turn around and say, no, no, the corporate world should not be changing politics in its own interest. The corporate world should not be, you know, lobbying politicians. You don't believe me? You think that that's a bit of a long shot, that the corporate advocates in the right wing on News Corp and so forth would be unlikely to be calling out for corporate influence to be removed from politics? Well, I would believe it when I heard it or saw it. Let me play you Daisy Cousins on Sky. Oh, really? Look, Rita, I've said this once, I'll say it a million times. It is inappropriate for private companies to put their stake in the ground on any kind of political matter. So there you are. Do you feel foolish? Daisy Cousins, far-right crank on Sky, also far-right crank network, talking to Rita Panahi, far-right crank, out there advocating clearly that uh, the the corporate sector should not be uh, campaigning on political issues. Well, that was unexpected. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I did not see someone like Daisy Cousins campaigning to restrict corporate involvement in politics, uh, given that everything else she does is campaigning for uh, as much power for the corporate world as possible. Um, but there you are. They are clearly, clearly reached a turning point, and the positive that we can find from that is that finally right-wing people are going to be campaigning uh, against the corporate world uh you know, over, overbearing the rest of us. And isn't that lovely? Mm. Isn't that, isn't that mm. something that we can all grab onto and feel good about? <laughs> yes, it is. All right. And I feel, I feel like that's probably a, a happy spot. And I don't think there's anything you could say that would uh, bring me down at this point. So um, before you can, uh, you know, find anything else at the bottom of the running sheet to depress me with, I'm going to quickly start winding up. Well, there's one thing. It was a report that they were deporting Nick McKim from um, Papua New Guinea for looking to the looking into Lorengau. That's a bit depressing. So hang on. It is a little bit depressing. So in the facilities that we run, mm-hmm. we've deliberately put them on remote islands where representatives of the Australian Parliament, like a Green Senator is a, a senator in the Australian Parliament, can be kicked out with and, and prevented from actually observing what's going on because they it won't be in the political interests of the Australian government. Mm. But in a way that if... If the Australian government wanted to stop Nick McKim from checking out a, a facility here, it would be much harder politically. 
but the whole doing it offshore gives them the cover of being like, hey, it's not us, it's just the government <laughs> from those countries. We can't tell them what to do, mm. although we definitely can, because the other thing is New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern was, was here this week, and uh, New Zealand are still offering to take uh, the refugees from those islands, and Australia's saying no. And you're like, hang on, how are you saying no to New Zealand taking people that you say aren't your problem? Like, how, how is it that Scott Morrison can stop that happening if they're you know, free to go? If they're not imprisoned, how do you stop them going to New Zealand? It makes no sense. Mm. The worry is that they'll try and use New Zealand as a backdoor to get into Australia. But- yeah, I mean, that's their argument, that we need to keep treating them appallingly uh, because otherwise people will get on boats and we could let them have visas to come, but um, they don't. Um, I would suggest... I mean, if that's our fear, I mean, one thing we could suggest would be to New Zealand, okay, um, if you're willing to give them the visas to come by here and you process them directly so they can fly to you directly, um, you know, the way Australia should, but won't because we're selfish assholes. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's been so miserable for them. And, and, and isn't the whole liberal argument that they're doing boat turnbacks anyway? That there's got a ring of steel and that people aren't coming through anyway, in which case we don't need to keep destroying these people. If your line is that we have to stop people coming on boats and you're not willing to you know, do that the obvious way by letting them come by air safely, mm. um, but you've done your horrible turnback thing in place, and doesn't that make torture? I mean, what are we going to do? Hold them there forever? What are they proposing that we do? If you won't let them go to another country that isn't Australia, mm. which is their whole thing, they must never come here, but you also won't let them go to Australia. Why, why can they go to America but not to New Zealand? What is that? It doesn't make any sense. Like, how are they simultaneously not imprisoned, but also you can tell them, stop them going to New Zealand? Why is it even any of your business? If they want to, if you're saying they're free to go, then let them go to New Zealand. Mm. So, there, I'm not even going to try. There is nothing positive about our treatment of refugees. It's monstrous. And, and fundamentally, it's part of the, the ongoing drive to remove the humanity of people that can be picked as easy scapegoats. And the only way to fight that is to push back against it, and Labor won't do it. Um, and the upshot of that is, like, they start... It doesn't stay there. They start with refugees, mm. and then they move on to the next group. Like, once you've, once you've hit the point of being able to remove the humanity of people... In fact, mm. aren't we... Isn't the Parliament this week debating giving Peter Dutton more power to exclude Australian citizens from entering the country if he thinks that they have uh, fought with foreign terrorists or something so there's no legal process there's no like you can be a murderer in australia you can have murdered people you don't lose your citizenship you don't (laughs) you're not kicked out of the country no there is not this idea that an australian citizen can lose their citizenship because of stuff that is alleged by a minister but not proven in a court of law is terrifying and and the fact that people go along with it because it's just like but they're bad people Mm -hmm. you don't know that there has exactly like the only basis on which you are protected is, is, is there being institu- you know being a, a fair process that protects you. If you remove it for other people, what makes you think it's there for you? Mm-hmm. I wish you'd let me end it before that thing that I forced you to mm. tell me anyway. I mean, I, there I was saying, let's move on quickly before this thing ends, whilst simultaneously hinting at you strongly to make that point. All right, so we haven't ended on a positive note. However, <laughs> no. if this has reversed the podcast about five minutes, just before I inadvertently forced Brandon <laughs> to tell me the bad news that we don't want to hear... And then just jump to this bit right now where we're wrapping up the podcast, which on the plus side means that the bad things that we're hearing about stop. Well, you stop hearing about them briefly. They don't stop happening. They're still happening whether we record about a podcast about them or not. I'm digging myself into a hole. Brandon, thank you for coming back to this uplifting podcast about Australian politics. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you, listeners, for coming back. Thank you for sticking with us. With the uh, we, we had some uh, podcast recording issues this week. 
Uh, and this is, in fact, the second time we've recorded the podcast. Um, so we're sorry that it's a bit late. Um, we'll aim for another episode either later in the week or early next week, which will be the big 100th episode. Mm. So we look forward to having you back for that one. Uh, meanwhile, thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you to everybody who's given us a positive review on iTunes. Uh, thank you to Robin Gray for the music and Alex Lum for the artwork. And Brandon, thank you for coming back. And we look forward to having you back when we have some kind of a positive week <laughs> of politics, which will never happen. So we'll just have you back for another depressing one very soon. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> See ya. Bye. <laughs>